One of the most interesting and lighthearted stories I've seen during this pandemic it was an article I read back in July about the Songshan Airport in northern Taiwan. Maybe you saw it, and I think what happened there is caught on in other places. But at the Songshan Airport, they had just completed, at the end of 2019, major renovations and expansions with the hope of bringing more passengers through their airport and having more flights when the pandemic of 2020 hit. And all of a sudden, they've got nobody coming through their airport. The pandemic significantly negatively impacted the traffic to the airport and then obviously the revenue. And so then someone at China Airlines had the idea to offer to a minimal number of customers who win a contest a pretend to fly overseas tour of the airport. And so they put out this contest and they were taking three groups of 60 passengers who, if they won, and they had over 7,000 applications for this contest, if you won, it meant that you got to get together, get, get dressed and ready, get all of your luggage, come out to the airport, go through all of the check-in process, immigration, customs, be searched, go through the line, have your bags checked and everything, go through the terminals and the gates, board the airplane, listen to the pre-flight spiel from the flight attendants, sit on the plane for a minute, then disembark the plane and get off and go through baggage claim, get all of your luggage back, go back through customs and everything, and leave the airport and go home. All of that experience of dealing with going to the airport, getting onto the airplane, then getting off of the airplane and getting back home without ever actually going anywhere. I couldn't believe that they offered this to 180 people and had over 7,000 people enter the contest to be able to take this tour, pay the money to take this tour, to go nowhere. And when I read that article, I thought it sounded a lot like the message that is contained for God's people from God in the Old Testament book of Amos. This week and next, Pastor Stacy and I are going to be addressing two more of our social principles. The social principle on the social community and on the economic community. And we'll be drawing those messages from the book of Amos. Amos was an Old Testament prophet who was called by God to share a prophetic word with the people of Israel at an interesting time in the history of their nation. There was great prosperity in the country, except it had created a divide among them there had developed among them a very clear distinction between the haves and the have-nots. And the haves were enjoying all of the finer things of life, while the have-nots saw their prospects for a livelihood and an enjoyable life diminishing. And it was into this context that God called Amos and gave Amos a word for the people of Israel 
that I would say is anything but encouraging for most of the book of Amos. And now here's the thing about a prophet. You really got to be ready to read the Old Testament prophets. They were often speaking in opposition to the accepted prevailing political, economic, and even religious practices of their day. And they can come across as angry, critical, or condemning. I don't know, maybe you can relate to some of these feelings as you look around our country, as you look around at our politics, our economics, even our church, and you can feel disappointed or dissatisfied. But the real power of the prophet and the prophetic message is when we let it speak to us and not just to all those other people who've got it wrong. And so I want to share with you today God's Word for God's people from the book of Amos. And I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. And when I finish reading it, I want to ask you to affirm with me. As difficult as it may be to hear these words, affirm with me that this is the Word of God for the people of God. And I'll say that, and then you say, thanks be to God. So would you listen now to Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24, and this is what it says. Doom to those who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or sought refuge in a house, rested a hand against a wall, and was bitten by a snake. Isn't the day of the Lord darkness, not light? All dark, with no brightness in it. I hate, I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burnt offerings and gifts of food, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In this passage, Amos leads in by saying, why are you looking for, looking forward to the day of the Lord? Now, in the time that he said that, most likely what that meant, the day of the Lord, meant the day of the Lord's coming or returning to the earth to restore Israel to its rightful place and, and to restore God's kingdom all over the earth. Things that we think about and talk about with the end of times. But as I read it, I thought about how we're all desiring the day of the Lord right now in terms of being able to get together again for worship in the sanctuary. And yet this word from the prophet Amos says, why are you desiring for the day of the Lord? And that's what we are doing right now. We can't get together for corporate worship. But that doesn't mean that there's no church or that the church is closed. See, when our framework for understanding the church is so dependent upon the corporate worship experience, then if we aren't doing it the way our generation is used to doing it, 
we're liable to think that we're failing or we're afraid or we're fake. But it's interesting to me to read these words of Amos from God saying, I hate your assemblies, your celebrations, your offerings, your music, your instruments. Was God saying to the people of Israel, I hate your worship? Boy, that seems to run so counter to what we think of and understand, not only in our own experience, but from the rest of the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms, where the psalmist singing praises to God says, God, we know that you inhabit, you, you are enthroned in our praise. But maybe it's a worthwhile conversation to consider. Where does corporate worship fit? in the life of a Christian, and in the life of a Christian church. Yeah, perhaps it belongs at the center. Because in our assemblies, in our music, and in our singing, and our offering, at its best, all of that points us toward God, points us toward living out the embodiment of the kingdom of God in our lives and in the world. At its worst, the gathering itself can become the focus, the center. The celebration is for celebration's sake, and we end up touring Christianity on Sundays, not unlike those people in Taiwan taking a tour of the airport, but never actually going anywhere. We get all dressed up, we get everybody together, we make the trip, we take our run around the facilities, we take our seats. And then when it's over, we get up and we go back home and don't ever actually go anywhere in the kingdom of God. I was having a conversation with somebody in our church this week and he uh, sort of quoted the old saying that's phrased like a question how often do we come to church to be preached at, sung to, prayed for, and leave? And that becomes the sum of the Christian experience. Now, granted, we miss getting together, the assembling. We miss the music, the singing, the instruments, the worship. And yet in this Scripture, God is saying, I'm fed up with that. Because that's the extent of it. That's all I see. And you're living out of faith. God was saying to the people of Israel at that time, I'm fed up with your worship. If that's what you think it means. To love me and to be a part of my kingdom. It's like God is saying, but where does it play out in your lives, in your community, in your world, in your government, in your economy, in your society? It's not that God is condemning worship, but God is calling us to more than simply the worship assembly, calling us to worship as a way of life. 
They got their eyes so fixed on themselves and the worship of God that they don't see each other and the people around them. And they're putting the assemblies, the singing, the music out of perspective from where it belongs in the life of a citizen of the kingdom of God. In our vernacular, the life of a Christian. The assembling and the music and the singing and the fellowship without justice and righteousness is not something God is interested in, according to Amos. God is asking him, if you're worshiping me, then why isn't the playing field level for everyone, especially among the people of God? Why aren't you doing everything in your power to level it? And know that that is an act of worship. Isaiah picks up the same refrain in chapter 11, adding some specifics, saying, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. One of my favorite musicians, John Foreman, who's the lead singer of Switchfoot. I don't know if anybody's into early 2000s Christian rock, but um, John Foreman, the lead singer of Switchfoot, also recorded a solo album, and one of the songs on it is called Instead of a Show, and he wrote the whole song based out of these scriptures from Amos. And Some of the lyrics from that song go like this, your eyes are closed when you worship, You sing along with the band. You shine up your shoes for services. And there's blood on your hands. You turned your back on the homeless and the ones that don't fit in your plan. Quit playing religious games. Quit fooling around. Give love to the ones who can't love at all. Give hope to the ones who've got no hope at all. Stand up for the ones who can't stand at all. And to be honest, when I read this scripture and preach this scripture, I want to soften it. You know, I want to qualify it, make it sound a little less critical and judgy. But I don't know that that would honor the immediacy and importance of the message. And it's so important that we, United Methodists, have a statement about our social community and our role in it. Our statement addresses rights of disenfranchised and marginalized people groups, along with other topics like world population, medical experimentation, genetic technology, health care, mental health, And in our social principle on the social community, we say that we affirm all persons as equally valuable in the sight of God. We therefore work toward societies in which each person's value is recognized, maintained, and strengthened. We support the basic rights of all persons to equal access to housing, education, communication, employment, medical care, legal redress for grievances, and physical protection. We deplore acts of hate or violence against groups or persons based on race, 
color, national origin, ethnicity, age, gender, disability, status, economic condition, sexual orientation, gender identity, or religious affiliation. This scripture in Amos could be a call from God for us in a time when our comfortable rhythm of worshiping in church has been disrupted to dive deeper into the rolling, ever-flowing stream, the flood of living water that God is bathing the world in. A call to examine our system of justice, examine our standard of righteousness, to identify and correct oppression, to look beyond our gatherings and our music and even our preaching to the one that they're directed to, whose kingdom we pray will come, and to consider how we act for justice and right relationship with those among us without family who are displaced or caged, with those among us without an inheritance who are defenseless or discriminated against. This is why we advocate as a church for marginalized people groups at the local, state, and national, and even international level. It's why the United Methodist Building in Washington, D.C. is the only non-government building on Capitol Hill. It's why we partner with the local elementary school and food pantry. It's why we vote so that we don't just take our seats but we take off and we soar to be the church God created us to be for the world and to know God's justice and God's righteousness for everyone everywhere and ourselves as a part of a social community that knows no ends.